Welcome to the Working Mom's Guide to Sanity podcast, your go-to resource for support, advice, and inspiration as you navigate the challenges of balancing your ambitious career dreams and your family. Each week, I'll bring you interviews with powerhouse working moms who'll share their insights on how they manage to find sanity while juggling their demanding jobs and kids. I'm your coach, Elizabeth Pearson. I'm an executive coach for women in male-dominated fields, and boy, have I heard it all. I've experienced a lot. I'm a mother of two young girls, and the women that I interview somehow built these businesses, climbed the ranks of corporate America, and followed their dreams, all while being a mother and clinging to their sanity. And you can do it too. Each week, I'll show you how. Welcome to the show. I'm your coach, Elizabeth, and today's guest is Jocelyn Davis. We were talking about her book that just came out um, in March. It's called Insubordinate, 12 New Archetypes for Women Who Lead. And I found this incredibly fascinating. We basically chatted through, you know, the focus of her book, which is these labels that women get put on them in corporate America. It can be really any professional landscape. Um, we talked through a few with them, the temptress, the ice queen, the empress. And we all love being able to kind of like do a mental quiz and slot ourselves into one of these. So I really enjoyed our conversation and I really love too how we were able to see it from other perspectives of not only are these labels being and these stereotypes really being put on us as women in the workplace, but also are we doing it to other women? Is this some woman on woman crime going on? And how can we deepen our awareness around it so that we aren't? Um, really just kind of like writing people off according to these labels that we've given them and how we can even take these labels that maybe we even identify with these archetypes as a superpower. How can we turn them into a positive? So I hope you enjoy our chat today. I love talking with Jocelyn. She's a wealth of information and I think you're going to get a lot out of this show. Jocelyn, I'm so excited for our chat today. I want to talk everything insubordinate, your book. I want to talk about these 12 archetypes for women who lead. So thank you so much for spending time with us today and taking us through some of your greatest work. Absolutely. My pleasure. Yeah. So for listeners who are not as familiar with you as I am, can you give them a little bit of just a quick snapshot of your journey and how you got to this place where you felt called to not only write so many books, but also really make it, you know, your journey to help educate women and leaders that are no doubt going to influence the next generation. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I um, I like to call myself a recovering executive. I was uh, for 23 years, I was in the training industry, leadership development and training and consulting. And I worked my way up to become the head of R&D at a consulting firm based in Boston. And that was all great, great company, a lot of fun. But 10 years ago, in 2013, I got, there was a sort of a re regime change and I got caught up in that and got pushed out, actually fired for being, quote, insubordinate. Wow. <laughs> love it. I mean, I fucking so, love it. Because that tells Yeah, I know. Yes. High five. A lot. Totally. Yeah. So how did that yeah. go about, how did you initially receive that feedback? It was a shock because actually I was, I was planning to leave and I had turned in my, I turned in my resignation notice and thought, okay, you know, this is all going to be civil and and fine. And but it turned out that there are these sort of things going on behind the scenes that I, I wasn't aware of. So when I got on the call to say, you know, thank you so much and, you know, all of that, see you later, they uh there was a lawyer there and there was my, you know, two bosses and they 
they said, uh, yeah, well, no, we don't want you sticking around. Like, this is your last day. And you should know that this was going to be a, um, a termination call. And I said, oh, why? And they said, well, because of clear insubordination. Can you share with us what like specific thing? Did they have a specific that they were referring to, like a specific incident, or was this just kind of a buildup in their mind? It was. It was really a um, how, how shall I say? It, w- it was an excuse for that. I mean, I, I had sent, I had gotten into a, like a little email tiff with my with my boss, pretty minor, and then had uh, very stupidly had um, sent some emails around to other over the past like couple of months to my team and to my peers complaining about stuff. And unbeknownst to us, our um, boss was monitoring our email. So, yeah, so that was interesting. And, uh, of course, you know, legally he had a right to do that, but, um, but it was, yeah, it was, it was kind of borderline ethical. So, yeah, so, I mean, they just, they wanted to get rid of people and saw, saw me and some others as troublemakers. But when it, when it happened, I thought to my, I remember thinking to myself at the time, you know what, someday, someday I'm going to write a book and I'm going to call it insubordinate. Because, you know, I think the code that was always used in my corporate experience was she's a pain in the ass. And, you know, and it was always by the men. Women, I feel like, might have thought that. Maybe they had, you know, an axe to grind with another female because, you know, we've just been conditioned that there's scarcity. And in reality, there really is scarcity for opportunities, right? And leadership and advancement. So that I feel like is pretty justified. But there were so many times I would talk to men and because I was a shapeshifter and would become, you know, what whatever that male leader was or wanted um, when I was on the golf course with them or, you know, at the dinners, you know, at the steakhouses and stuff like that, they felt like they could speak freely around me. And the amount of times, you know, when somebody was just asking for the basics of support or leadership from them, it was she's a pain in the ass. And so maybe my next book will be pain in the ass. But I love the fact that you've carved out these 12 archetypes for women who not necessarily have to be in like high powered leadership positions, but people who lead. So can you start taking us through a few of those? Like, what do you feel like is the most common or I don't want to say like most popular label of an archetype that's put on women in leadership? Great question. So I, I can't say that any one of them is the most popular. All of them are are attached in my mind to sort of a, a too much criticism. So mm. we've got, um, you know, the the Snow Queen, we've got the Amazon, we've got the Witch, the Temptress, the um, the Mama Bear, etc. So the Snow Queen, for example, which is my sort of home archetype, where we all have a home archetype, I say, but, but we can easily expand beyond. But my archetype is homework type is the Snow Queen. The Snow Queen is often called too too introverted, too remote, you know, not enthusiastic. Of course, we have the the Amazon who is who is on the other side of my wheel. The Amazon is very you know is direct, head on, a happy warrior. The Amazon is way too bossy. You've got uh, a number of the archetypes are are quote too bossy, too aggressive. But then we have, for example, the escapist, which is one of my favorite archetypes. And the escapist is up there on the sort of airy part of the of the wheel. And the escapist is the the archetype that that dodges, that you know, doesn't does not like conflict, has ways yeah. to get around conflict, ways to avoid conflict, and 
women like that are often criticized as too, um, you know, not, not aggressive enough, you know, sort of indirect and scared, scared and doormats and, you know, not, not, you know, willing to lean in because the escapist doesn't lean in. The escapist flies under the radar. Yeah. And it's bad. So there's some, every archetype I think has the, uh, you know, the, the, the standard criticism that gets attached to her. And what I claim is that we need to recognize the strengths of yeah. each of these archetypes, as well as the, the weaknesses. But we recognize that there's so many ways that we as women can lead and succeed without necessarily conforming to the, the stereotypes. Do you feel like one of the archetypes is the one that has the highest probability of being successful in corporate America? Would you say it's maybe the escapist or like, like which one do you feel like has the best shot at being accepted? So, yeah, the the empress, the and I often I get in trouble. I've gotten in trouble for saying this, but the empress is the most masculine mm. in in the sense of sort of you know that feminine masculine continuum. Yeah, that Jung and others have talked about. The empress is the most sort of typically masculine of the archetypes in that she is very comfortable in a hierarchy and wants to climb that hierarchy. She's ambitious. She she. She, like many men, she is at home in that, in that pyramid, that hierarchy. So an empress can often do very well. In fact, the example that I use in the book of my, my real life empress was a colleague of mine who was our head of sales um, at my company. And she was, um, she just knew how to climb the ladder and play the game. And she was comfortable doing that. She was very, um, you know, had a strong ego drive. Yeah. powerful woman, um, but also very circumspect. You know, she wasn't not like the Amazon who just like comes at you. She just knew how to play that that hierarchy game. And she was an empress. We've all known them. I mean, we've worked for them, I think, a lot. You know, I've worked for them. So why is it important as women that we understand these archetypes and we have some awareness around them? You know, so there's uh, three kind of big reasons, three ways that understanding these archetypes can help us. One is that it helps us, as I said earlier, just understand our strengths better. So if if I know that my archetype is a snow queen and I can I understand what the strengths of a snow queen is and that's where I'm comfortable, then I'm more likely to be able to kind of lean into those those strengths and and appreciate myself uh, and not kind of beat myself up for being an introvert or not like an empress or not like an Amazon, I can, I can appreciate myself for my strengths. The second way that it's helpful is that it, I, I believe that although we all have a home archetype, we, we contain multitudes as women. We, we are shapeshifters. Yeah. We are well able to expand beyond our comfort zone and tap into these, all these many ways of being. When, once we understand that they are valid and they are you know, way, ways to lead and ways to succeed. So having an understanding of the whole panoply of archetypes can help us kind of expand our um, our view. And then the third way is that these archetypes help us appreciate other women. Yes. And not do this thing that we often do. I, I remember you said something about the, um, what was it? The mom, um, no, no negative moms or no, no. Oh, Yeah. Or, yeah, no mom shaming, no mom on mom crime. Mom yeah. on mom crime, yeah. that was it. And that is so often what we women intend to 
fall into is, you know, kind of looking askance at, you know, oh, what's she doing over there? Oh, she's so bossy. She's, you know, right. Oh, she's, you know, a skank or she's a bitch or yeah, all of that. And it's because they're not acting the way we would act right? as a, as a mom or as a professional or as a friend. And I think if we can really learn to appreciate some of these, these archetypes that are different from our own, it will just help us. It helps us all rise. Right. And I love that you pointed that out, Jocelyn, because this piece of this judgment, right, when we are labeling other women. And listen, I have totally been guilty of it in my past. There were times I'd be at a national meeting and, you know, the quickest way to judge somebody is by what they're wearing. And sometimes there would be these women who would come in in, you know, I would call them lovingly like hooker shoes, like the big heels, huge platform. They would show toe, which in my mind was never professional. You always wore closed toed shoes. You only wore a shirt that came down. You know, maybe you could see your clavicle, but like there was not. And they would come in rocking tight pants, you know, these shoes, a low cut shirt, hair done, you know, like as high as God, if you will. Right. Like, and I always thought, oh, look at them. God, they are setting us back. What are they doing? You know, and it wasn't even just annoyance. There was like a loathing deep inside of me of like, shame on you. Like Gloria Steinem would be so upset at this. You know, I would I would get on this elitism course, right, of judgment to judge these women when I had no idea what they were going through, what the motivation behind the outfit that they picked out. Maybe that's how they felt most comfortable. But it is. It's this conditioning of scarcity that we really must mow each other down or check each other at least a little bit because I'll support you as long as I don't think you're going to maybe go past me. Like as long as we're going to stay on the same level or you're even like a notch below, then I'm OK with you. But so it was really taking a good hard look at like, where is this coming from? And also, guess what? It was because I judged myself like we, if we're not judging ourselves and we don't really give a shit what people are thinking about us, we're very, a lot less likely to be judging somebody else. Right. So exactly. I love that you said that. Like, I think that's the biggest opportunity out of your book is to really like give each other a little bit of grace and this quote unquote pass, if you will. And, and we're leading other women. And to your point, we're going to try to get them to conform to whatever archetype we are, because we think that's what's best or that's worked for us in the past. So of course it would work for them. But you're okay. saying, no, if anything, really kind of embrace that and see the additional archetypes that live within them as well. Right. Yes. Yes, exactly. It's funny you say that about, you know, the, the tight pants or the big hair. The example of my temptress archetype is a really interesting one because she was a very successful, still is a very successful woman and mom. She, she, you know, she did it all. She was a she was a star at our company. She wore fishnet stockings. Whoa. She wore very high heels. She had the big hair. She was she was very attractive. But her manner, more even than her clothes, her manner was just very. It was, it was not like me. It was it was the opposite of Snow Queen. She was extroverted. She was she was flirtatious, but flirtatious with men and women alike. Flirting isn't even really the right word in in the book. When as I was thinking about. How did she really do that? I realized that her big talent was making other people feel like stars. Mm -hmm. So she would make you feel special. And that was what I, I came to realize. That's what the temptress is really doing. It's not that she's just being sexy Manipulative. or something. No, she was um, th this woman, uh, Caroline, as I call her. She was uh, she 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 would you know lean in close. 
She would, she had this high wattage smile, but it wasn't like, look at me. It was, it was, look at you. Look, you know, I, I like you. I'm impressed by you. You are a star. I want to be your friend and we're going to have fun. And she was, she was brilliant as well. You know, very, very smart. And she just did it in a different way, totally different way from how I would have done it. And that's great, I think. Yeah, I think it is great. And I love this conversation because I think just the awareness that these archetypes exist, right, is going to help us get to this place of curiosity over judgment, right? Like you kind of flipped it from being judgmental of her, like, oh, well, she's clearly just trying to manipulate the situation to get ahead and I'm not going to stoop to that level, whatever it may be, whatever story we're telling ourselves. But instead, you took it from this place of curiosity to say, let me look a little deeper and maybe get to know her on a deeper level so that I can understand her motivation or... And and maybe find some of those qualities in myself as well. Because yeah. as I said, I, it, we, I think we all don't, don't give ourselves enough credit for the range that we have as women. We tend to think, oh, I'm, I'm not like that. I'm only comfortable here. This is my comfort zone. And, you know, the old saying about what, what got you here won't get you there, which is usually applied to, you know, getting higher in a hierarchy. But it's, it's also appropriate to, you know, what, what, what got me to this place in my life, whatever that may be. If I want to move beyond that and do something different, you know, I'm going to need to tap into some other qualities in myself, some other strengths that I have. So how can we do that? Do you feel like, too, with the the growth of like remote work or hybrid workplaces now that there's a little bit less emphasis or maybe understanding or labeling of she's a snow queen or she's a temperance or whatever it is that we're coming up with in our head because now it's all virtual? Or do you think that the archetypes transcend? Oh, that's an interesting question. I, I hadn't thought about that, actually. I, I, I think they transcend for sure. I think it can be easier to fake a certain archetypes qualities when you're doing it virtually. So for me, again, speaking as, as the snow queen, I find it easier to kind of fake being the mesmerist or, or even the, the Amazon when, it, when it's remote and when there's kind of that remove. But again, I think that's, uh, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I think that we can, we can make use of these new technologies and these new, um, these new means of communication, we can make use of them and take and use them to our advantage if we understand kind of how how we can use them for ourselves. Yeah, I think so too. And I work with clients a lot. And one of the things they always want to do is like build their personal brand. Or I'll tell them like, hey, you don't have a personal brand, like professional personal brand, if you will. Um, a lot of times, you know, it's just a quick snap judgment off their LinkedIn or how they're showing up in a visible way. So I wonder if this idea of creating this professional brand could be one where it could be helpful to go through the book and maybe take a lot of their strengths in each one of these archetypes, right? And then really take it as an opportunity to become a more well-rounded leader from pulling from each of these and then finding some way to apply it to create this brand. How do you feel about that? Yeah, yes, absolutely. I, uh, I guess I'm, I, I've always been a little bit hesitant on the whole, you know, you need to have a brand thing. Mm -hmm. I think, again, I, I keep saying this, but we, I think women especially are, are, can be shapeshifters, can be authentic in, in multiple different ways. We can be the mom, the wife, the friend, the businesswoman, 
the leader, the follower. We're we're just very good, for the most part, better than men at that at adapting to the circumstances. And I think that's a good thing that we can do more of rather than less of. And yeah, that, that's that's one of the reasons why I wrote this book is to try to help women see. Oh yeah, I've got this this wider range than I thought, and maybe I'm you know more of a a temptress in this kind of situation, and maybe I can you know even be a bit of a you right. know an escapist in this other situation it would serve me well yeah self-awareness is the power right there's huge upside of just being self-aware and just understanding right you can just understand and then with understanding can come a little less judgment of maybe if you are kind of like going through some sometimes where you're regretting something you said or you regret the way you showed up or you interacted in a meeting it can be a great way to just go back and be like okay well that's just you know, my motivation in that circumstance. The whole branding thing, I totally hear you as far as like not necessarily wanting to conform and define yourself in any sort of like rigid way. But I do feel like, Jocelyn, like a lot of women are out there and we don't want to be more passive or reactive in our career progression, but ultimately we are, right? Like Mm -hmm. there are things that get ignored, like your LinkedIn, like preparation before one-on-ones with bosses. This is something else that I work a lot with clients. I'm like, so are you providing the agenda of talking points? Like, are you creating the the roadmap for what you're going to speak on or is it left to the boss? It's like, well, a lot of times it's just me answering like whatever they want updates on. I'm like, okay, right. Well, so it is an opportunity to kind of, I feel like, take more control over your yeah. career trajectory to be able to say, you know, and your book is this wonderful resource and she's got more, they're all, her books will be listed here in the show notes, but to have that quiet influence and to be able to say, mm-hmm. you know, I'm going to go after what I want and here's how we're going to get there. And I just need you to give me a yes. And then here are these support levers that I need you to pull versus yeah. being a little bit more passive with it. Yeah, that's that's an interesting point. And thinking about the previous book, The Art of Quiet Influence mm-hmm. and and also Insubordinate, one of the favorite things that I hear from readers is, from, from some readers, is, you know, wow, I, I, I've i always been kind of scared of these leadership books and management books because I feel like that's not me. You know, like that that implies, in, in some people's minds, that implies, like, you have to be on the executive track or you have to be a very bossy kind of person. And there's so many of us who who just don't feel like that, who don't feel that they are, um, that they fit that, let's face it, very male um, template yeah. that has been laid out for, you know, the, the supposed leader. So when they read, like with the Art of Quiet Influence, I got so many comments from people saying, oh, because that book is all about how do you, how do you show up and lead? in a quietly influential way rather mm-hmm. than a hierarchical authority kind of way. So when you don't have authority, if you are a leader in your community or in a nonprofit or or maybe you're at the at the bottom of the of the chain. Yeah. You know, you're a, a lowly employee. Well, guess what? You can still be a very influential, powerful in a good way leader. And I think that uh, there's, I, I'm very, it's the thing that makes me happiest to hear from from my women, especially when they read my books, is to say, oh, I didn't realize, like, I can do this. I can be, as you say, not, you know, more, less passive, right, more of a leader and still be true to myself. Like, I don't have to turn into, I don't know, you know, 
that you, I don't have to just turn into the stereotypical right. suited male, right. you know, right. yeah. Jack yeah. Welch. I always tell women too, I'm like, listen, if you want to wear a suit, wear a suit, but please don't do it because you think it makes you look smarter or more masculine or that you're going to be taken more seriously. Like, I think that embracing the femininity and the perspective, the unique perspective that we offer and the insights is why you're being paid. It's not just to have you be another version or some clone of some yes man or somebody else who's on the team that isn't going to offer a diverse perspective. So if you had to offer Jocelyn one like fun tip or takeaway from like how you can be this quiet influence, what would it be? What's one thing that listeners could do to try to embrace that concept in, in an application? Yeah. So, you know, one thing that, that I myself have tried to, <laughs> the big tip that I've tried to take away from, from, the, from that book and from other books is there's, a, there's this um, concept I talk about in the art of quiet influence called inviting participation. When, when people form a team, if, if you are the, you know, put in, put in the leadership position on a team, or even if you're not, if there's a, a team that's forming to do a project or whatever, people so badly overlook the stage of making people feel welcome, making people feel like they are actually part of a group and that they actually belong. This, this inviting participation stage of, of sort of group formation is overlooked and most leaders aren't very good at it. And they think of it as fluff. It's like, oh, well, what would you say? We have to like sit around and talk about our kids or talk about right. you know, our favorite foods or just as this just, you know, fluffy waste of time. Like, like let's get to work. But there's so much research that shows that the, the in order to have a successful team, a high-performing team, a successful project, that sense of participation and belonging is absolutely critical. So if you can be someone, whether you're in that, that official leadership role or not, who takes the time and has the sort of the, the, the skill and the energy, as many women do have the skill and energy for this, to make others feel like they are being brought in to the group, that they are appreciated, that they belong, that somebody cares about them. If you can do that, then you have... Um, you're a leader and you're, you're a better leader than most. It's not, it's not difficult to do, but it's something that most people just don't do. So it's a way to stand out. Yeah. Oh, I love that. And I think another way that you could do that too is like, I always think like, do your homework on people, right? Like maybe you are in a situation where you haven't worked with somebody yet. It's a cross-functional project. Like ask, you know, a little bit more about like their work or give them an accolade, especially other women. So many times lack of acknowledgement is a huge reason why women will lean lean back, if you will, or disconnect from work or even leave an organization or an opportunity. But if we just like see each other, to your point, if we value each other enough to ask the questions, and it's fine to ask about your kids and things like that, but it could be like, what's the aspect of your job that you love the most? What's your zone of genius? What's this? Like, to me, those are these wonderful open-ended questions that aren't just, oh yeah, you know, I've got two kids and they're whatever we're doing right now. And not only that, like, I, I think it's great to ask about each other's families, but as, as a woman who used to have to travel as well, anytime people would bring up my kids, it did feel like a low-key shade of like, are you asking who's taking care of them in a roundabout way? Or now I've got mom guilt because I'm sitting here talking about my kids and I, I've now brought them front of mind in a professional setting and I feel bad that I'm not with them or 
So like, I think we have to be able to expand outside of weather, weekends and kids and really try to make that deeper connection of like, yes, what is a motivator for you? And listen, maybe it's their kids. Maybe they would talk about their kids. But by God, then if they do, remember the names, you know, like remember something so that next time it's not just this fluff question, if you will, of like, because I'm like you. I'm like, let's just get into it. I actually don't really care about your kids. As bad as that sounds, I don't want to talk about mine because it's going to be a waste of time. You're never going to remember. We're never going to talk about them again. So like, Mm -hmm. let's try to make it something that is more tailored and applicable to the job, right? The opportunity in front of us. Absolutely. Yeah, it is about make, making people feel seen, making people feel heard. The, the best approach to this that I ever found, and this was a, um, a guy who was who was like probably 25 years older than I was. He was quite senior at our company and I was a, a very lowly editor. This is when I was just starting out my career and I was assigned to him as he was consultant and, I, and he did a lot of work with, that required sort of creating materials program materials. And so we needed an editor to work with. I was assigned to him. He showed up in Boston where, where our offices were. And he, he said, you know, I want to come, I want to stop by and um, just, you know, have a meeting with you. And I thought, oh boy, you know, what, what's he, he's going to like, you know, he's going to tell me what I'm doing wrong. Uh, what he did is he came in, he sat and he introduced himself and he said, okay, so I, and he had this yellow legal pad with him. This was back in the Love it. Very early 90s. And he said, so tell me, how do you like to work? And I was <laughs> like, I'd never. Could you answer it? Nobody had ever asked me anything like that. And so, and he, and he sort of, you know, he encouraged me. He said, well, I was like, well, what do you mean? He said, well, just tell me how, how do you like, you know, how do you as an editor, like, what's the process you like to follow? How, how do you like to work? And I was like, oh, okay. And so, and then I like laid out, you know, here's the process and here's how things, and you know, here's what, and he asked me like, what really matters to you most? And it was just an incredible conversation. And it, it, it made me fanatically loyal to him as a, as a, um, he wasn't my manager. He was just, I mean, he was an internal customer. He was my favorite internal customer and I would have done anything to, to help him. So just a, a great example of that kind of leadership. But that's the influence too. And, and all of the great mentors and leaders that I've had, it was never, that they were motivating me or trying to, I never felt like, cause that feels like a manipulation. It was more just, I wanted to make them proud. I wanted to mm-hmm. do right by them. And I feel like that's strong leadership. Those are the people who are going to go to bat for you. Those are the people who are going to follow you when you leave an organization. Those are the people who will become ambassadors for you. If you ever need a favor, you know, um, if you find yourself on the, on the other side. So I loved this discussion, Jocelyn. Everybody pick up her book, Insubordinate. It's linked in the show notes. Also, The Art of Quiet Influence. She does workshops, classes, speak, speaking engagements. Um, so there's lots of wonderful content to check out. Her website as well, jocelyndavis.com, linked in the show notes. Jocelyn, is there any like one final thought you'd love to leave our listeners with today? Mm-hmm. You know, if you're ever called insubordinate, Think about how you can turn that into turn that into a positive. Make it work for you, because I did. I love it. I feel like it shows that you're not a doormat, like you're not. So I, I would take that as a compliment. But thank you so much for spending time with us, Jocelyn. Thank you.